Right now, the United States is more divided than it's ever been. People are at each other's throats. Left, right, blue, red. It's not about having the right answers. It's about asking the right questions. Welcome to Into the Quagmire Podcast. Two very different men respectfully having the difficult discussions and debates that many are not willing to have. But that's what we need to help bring the United States back to its roots, bring people together, realizing that different opinions aren't just okay, but it's a great thing. This is Into the Quagmire, and here are your hosts, Artie Manfredi and Ryan Melton. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Into the Quagmire. Um, It's been a, a little while since we've done a podcast. Sorry about our little hiatus. We've just had a, a lot of things going on, which I'm sure you'll hear about later. Um, but uh, first and foremost, I need to issue an apology. I've gotten yelled at a couple times, and I say yelled at tongue-in-cheek. Um, in one of our earlier podcasts, I said I was going to do a dad joke at the end of our podcast, but we've gotten so so into the weeds and so um, into the discussion that I've, I've forgotten. So I apologize to all of you. I will try my best to remember to do a dad joke at the end of every podcast. Um, so, Ryan, you got to hold me accountable to that because we are getting feedback. Yeah, I'm trying to pull, pull one off the top of my head to kind of fit into this. And I couldn't come up with one, but I don't know. <laughs> You'll be, I'm sure it'll be funny if you've got one prepared. I, I've got one. It is not on topic, but who cares? We're going to have fun. <laughs> Sounds um, good. And speaking of which, what is our topic? So today we're going to talk about Starlink. So, Ooh, sounds fancy. So it's there's some kind of cool technology capable uh, details to that. And there's also some um, some little bit of controversial details to it as well that we can discuss. Yeah, and it's got pretty it's got worldwide implications, and so I think it's really interesting. So, so first off, what what, what is Starlink? So, Starlink is the is the SpaceX program. So, Elon Musk's SpaceX program. They've been launching all these satellites. You've seen all these launches on the news. You've seen them everywhere. And they're launching these satellites, and what it is, it's internet. But the big difference is it's low-altitude satellites compared to what is traditional high-altitude satellites. So to give you an example of what that means is the traditional way you get satellite internet. Now, I know a lot of you don't have it. I do. Um, It it, it was primarily used in rural uh, communities. Um, But you have this satellite, and... that is way up in the sky. It's extremely high altitude and it's so high that it's a fixed point. So as the earth orbits, the satellite is orbiting with the earth at the same speed. And so the satellite on my house is pointed directly at one point in the sky and it never moves. And that's where it stays. What Starlink is, it's a low altitude. So it's actually orbiting around the earth and the satellite is picking up similar, like as you're driving in a car going from, you know, and you're on, you're talking on your cell phone and that signal is being transferred from tower to tower as you're kind of driving down the road, similar to this, except that it's the satellites that are moving and they're transferring a signal from one to the other as they're orbiting around us. Um, and it's been pretty fascinating, but before I kind of give you, so, so I now have Starlink at our house. We've had it now um, a few weeks, maybe close to a month now, and and I'll I'll share kind of our experience with it. And I've got traditional satellite internet as well, so we can compare apples to apples and uh, kind of go through that. But anything you want to add to that, Ryan, before we jump into some of that? Well, there's lots of lots of details to add, but uh, let's let's hear about your experience. Well, I guess I can talk a little bit more of the technical details about Starlink first. So so SpaceX has launched one thousand six hundred and seventy seven of these already. Wow. And that's only been since 2018 when they started working on the launches. 
Now, the other thing that's kind of happened in the past few years is SpaceX has kind of mastered reusing the rockets. So these are almost all flying on reused SpaceX rockets. And so that's one of the reasons they could, they could do this where many other companies really can't is that they have this huge vertical integration advantage to where they own the rockets, they own the satellites, they own the whole system. It's completely owned by SpaceX, which is just a, such amazing advantage. I mean, the cost of rocket launches now is at least a tenth of what it used to be because of their reusability that they have wow. created. And that's the cost to the government. It's probably even better uh, cost savings to them because they're obviously there's no markup when it's you own the when you own the rockets. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the technological detail. I mean, th- these are all at about 550 kilometer orbits. Um, that's a pretty standard low Earth orbit um, for a lot of like science missions and NASA type missions. But comp satellites are typically up in geo, which is a lot higher orbit. It's a lot lower the uh, the ping time, the time for the, even light to get from the Earth to the satellite and back is a fraction of, it's basically a tenth of what it is out to a geosatellite, which is the reason you can get such amazing um, responsiveness from doing a low Earth orbit satellite. The, the downside is that low Earth satellites spin around the Earth. <laughs> so yep. geosatellite stays above one country and just sits there, right? Basically at the equator, up at a distance, and it rotates at the same speed as the Earth, such that it stays basically in the same space in the sky, above the same continent, the same country all the time. Low Earth orbit satellites um, spin around the Earth. They're, at the lower orbit, they're going. Um, it's actually a slower speed, but it's um, <laughs> they're spinning around the Earth, and typically a ninety to hundred minute orbit. And so they're only above your head for mm, 10, 10, 12 minutes ish max, depending on your latitude. Um, how long it's going to be in the sky above your head? Um, so. You can't just stare at one satellite. You need a whole bunch of satellites. And to get continuous internet, you need to have a whole bunch of satellites that are continually flying over your head. So you can basically stare at the next one and stare at the next one and keep moving along and kind of aiming your signal at these different satellites. And that's why they have to launch so many satellites. It's also the reason that um, this has only been available at northern latitudes up till now. So the nice thing about um, low Earth satellites is that (laughs) unless you're flying over the equator... There's, there's a whole bunch of different orbits that are going to fly close to the poles. And so you can have a bunch of satellites going over the pole at the same time, but then they kind of spread out as they get down to the equator and they kind of fan out across the, the world and then they kind of pull back together at the South Pole. And so it's easier to provide this kind of service with low Earth orbit satellites near the poles because the satellites all kind of come together there as they cross over and then they spread, fan out again over the rest of the world. Um, and that's why Artie is kind of really right on the edge of what is supported right now. I mean, they, they advertise 44 degrees latitude to 52-ish. I'm not actually sure what latitude you're at. Right here in Denver is right at 40. So Denver is still a little bit low um, to really get good Starlink support. I guess, how, how's, your, uh, how's your coverage been so far, Artie? It's been really good. I'm actually pulling up my, my latitude right now. Um, if my map would work. Um, I, Cause I want to say it's 45 off the top of my head, 45 okay, so point something. If so, then you're right. You're right there. Yeah. So we only got, so, so basically here, here, let's kind of go through how the process works. Um, 
if you're interested in Starlink, you have to basically go onto their website. And what, what it is, it's a beta test. Like, this is not a full-fledged, like, internet service. They're not promising that. I'm basically a part of a beta testing group, I know, which is so unlike me. Um, but uh, you, you put in your address, and what they do is they, they look at your, your latitude, and, and then they'll notify you when your latitude is now eligible for Starlink. And the deal is they tell you, like, you're only guaranteed, like, 90% coverage, meaning you might have 10% of the day where you lose Internet service, whether that be that the satellites are too far apart or, you know, they're working on something because this is still in beta stage or whatever it is. And to be honest, we really haven't, I've noticed it, like, three times in the last month where I was using the Internet and it kind of went down. Um, but it was very, very short period of time. It was down for, like, a minute, like, there was one time it was down for maybe two, three minutes, like very, very, very low interruption rate. So it's been, it's been pretty awesome. And I have to say, for us, it's been a game changer. So kind of give you a, a history of what rural America deals with. And the other thing that's really interesting about Starlink is this is internet for everybody. This is not just for rural America, where the previous satellites were designed for rural, only to serve rural America that, that couldn't get wired internet. Um, this is something that they've designed that if you are a camper, you can throw it up on your RV and get internet, in, you know, at a campsite. If you, um, live in another country, let, you know, let's say middle of, middle of nowhere, Africa, that you'll be able to get internet now. Um, you know, if you have a boat and you're into Marines, you can put this on top of your yacht and all of a sudden your yacht or your boat now has internet. Like this is Elon's vision for this is really like internet for everybody, for the whole world. And um, for us, it's been a game changer. So we've been, you know, living in, in the mountains here in Colorado for it's coming up on two years. And when we first moved here, we signed up for your traditional satellite Internet. And currently, there's really only two companies that provide that. There's a lot of other companies that kind of are resellers. So you might say, no, there's 100 companies that sell Internet. Well, yeah, they're selling it. But what you're really getting is one of these two satellite providers. Uh, we tried one of them, and it was horrendous. Like, within the first week, we, we had the, the tech out here three or four times because it was useless. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything on it. Like, you'd try to watch a YouTube video. This is how we were testing it, like 144, whatever it is, rate. And it, it couldn't even do that. It would just continuously buffer. So uh, a, a friend of mine who's in IT, I called him, and he's like, you know what? Why don't you use your cell phone? Well, there's a cell phone tower six miles away. So I, like, built on this rocky hill behind our house like this giant 12 foot tall pole with an antenna pointed right at the at the cell tower running down our house and we were able to get okay service we were able to get about 15 megabytes a second nothing nothing earth shattering you know allowed us to do kind of the basic things but as as this podcast and other things ryan and i have been involved in and grown it's just fallen short so i brought in the other satellite company beginning of the year and um, it's just been terrible. I mean, yeah, you have internet, but you might as well not have internet, basically. Um, and so then we got Starlink. So let, let me kind of give you some comparisons. So Starlink came in, and I have to say they've done a tremendous job, not only with what this is and, and, and fast internet for everybody, but the way that you get this satellite, like it's a cool experience. Like it comes in this awesome Starlink box. Everything's all together. Everything's already wired. Like everything is plugged into where it's supposed to be plugged in. So any dummy, including me, can literally just set this thing up in minutes. You know, and it came on a stand so you can put it out like in your lawn or, or on your deck or whatever you want to do. And then they sell an extra roof mount. But the presentation of the packaging actually blew me away to the point where they had a, an, instel, an install um, kit 
for the roof that was not just the, the roof mount itself, but like a whole install kit. I'm like, well, I'm going to get this. Everything's been so easy. Like I ordered it. It was probably, in all honesty, you'll appreciate this as a business guy, Ryan. It was probably $2 worth of supplies that I paid like 30 bucks for. Um, but honestly, the experience was totally worth it because it came with everything I needed. The instructions were clear. I'll tell you, not only did it come with all the supplies, but it came with all the tools. It came with drill bits. So like, I didn't have to go find the drill bit. I didn't have to go, oh crap, I don't have the right size. And now I need to go to the hardware store. Like it literally came with everything you need. It was completely plug and play, which if you've ordered any other hardware, right, you'll get like the mount and they'll say, right, here are the instructions. You need the, you know, five sixteenths drill bit and you need this and you need this tool and this tool. And literally they had everything in a box. And again, it was like probably $3, two, $3 worth of stuff I paid 30 bucks for, but it was totally worth it because it, because it made it easy and it was a, it was a great experience. And um, so now I have it mounted on the roof of my office, actually right above kind of my head, kind of right about in that area. Um, and what's really neat too is you literally just plug in the satellite. Once you get, once you roll out the cords, you got it comes with a Wi-Fi router, and you plug it in, and the satellite completely orients itself, right? So if I did this old satellite, let's say that the high altitude satellite, I had to have a technician come out. They had to mount it and bolt it to the side of my house. It had to be aimed absolutely perfectly, otherwise the internet wouldn't work. Um, and this thing literally you just set it out there, you plug it in and it's got a motor inside that it completely orientates itself and finds the, the path of the satellites. The other thing that's really nice is again, Elon's thought of everything or his engineers have thought of everything. Kudos to them. One of the other big complaints, especially in a cold, cold environment is that these satellites will freeze or they'll get covered in snow and then they just don't work. This one has a heater built in it. So, so first off, it has, actually has a cover over it. So it's not your typical dish you would see. Like you'd see like your old, you know, TV antenna dishes that were from like the 80s or like your, you know, direct TV or any of your TV dishes that has that kind of concave shape. This has a covering over the top of it and has a heater built inside. So you never have to clean it off. Like I don't have to climb up on the roof in the snow and ice to clean this thing off just so I could work or do whatever. Um, and so, so I've been completely blown away. Also too, it's extremely compact. It's probably a 30%, if I had to put a number on it, the size of the, the old satellite as well. So it's easy to carry around, easy to maneuver. It's not heavy. It's super light. Um, just been blown away. And the results we've gotten is, is completely crazy. So the old satellite, we would get we were we would get maximum 25 megabytes per second download speed okay that's your speed like if you were hold on a second well go ahead yeah i gotta gotta correct you before you keep going so all the numbers that Artie is saying are actually megabits per second not megabytes and that's an eight that's an 8x factor difference i can't let it slide okay okay. he was getting 15 megabits not then he was getting 25 megabits which really isn't isn't horrible it um but going to continue it's megabits megabits i didn't know there was a difference i just bits <laughs> bytes i just thought it was a a pronunciation so i stand corrected <laughs> all right so um the old satellite i was getting 25 megabits a second um that was download upload i was maxing out at four megabits a second but the real big number was the ping rate, which is also called latency that that's the time the signal takes to get from you know my my computer through the satellite up to the satellite in the sky down to some server and then back right that that's what that that is it's called ping or latency man with with the old satellite we were like 160 milliseconds plus um like 160 was like quick for that thing so now fast forward and and so so 
why the latency is so important, that's our ability to talk. Like, so for instance, Ryan and I are, are, are now recording this, and I know we don't show the video, but part of the reason why we haven't done video in the past is because my internet could not support it. Um, you know, we, we're now looking at each other. We've always looked at each other. We never really recorded it because my internet just couldn't support it. There was always, there would always be a delay or a lag in that visual. Um, and sometimes even the audio, there were times that we would talk and you know, we'd have to edit out stuff because it would start breaking up or skipping and that's gone now. Um, and, and a big reason for that was mostly the latency because the speed was fast enough to support all that, but the latency wasn't. So now we get Starlink installed and we're getting, get ready for this, I've been seeing 200 megabits a second. So almost a full 10x of what we were getting with the old one. The upload, though, is amazing. So I used to edit these podcasts, and it would take me, it would take like two hours to upload this episode into all the, all the different platforms. And it uploads to one place and feeds it out. So it's just one upload, and it's just audio only. It would take like two hours because that up, upload speed at the old style was only that four megabits a second. I'm now seeing 18 and 20 plus megabits a second every time and so now I, I these podcasters i can upload and it's minutes versus hours which is amazing but the biggest difference is that latency number i'm seeing around 40 to 60 milliseconds mm-hmm. um and it's it's actually better than my cell phone i've compared it to my cell phone and it's actually getting better latency and better speeds than my cell phone to the tower which has been yeah, unbelievable. which is amazing the, a satellite connection which is obviously way farther than your cell phone has to go um getting a better ping is is amazing and like Gardy was saying that's really important like the latency it's really important for not having that delay when you're talking to people i know some people even with cell phones have experienced this where you say hey da, 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 and, the, and then the person's kind of talking over you because there's this delay and they didn't they don't even know that you've started talking yet and yeah. that was really that has really burned Artie and i too trying to record these podcasts just having a delay makes a huge difference um also um, for video streaming and for video calling, upload speed is really important. Um, yes. Four is really not going to cut it um, to have a good, clean kind of uh, peer-to-peer video connection. Twenty totally does. Um, it's really, the threshold's around around eight, eight or nine is where things become pretty good. Um, so it, this is technology that is really making a difference. I, I, <laughs> going a little bit of a side, if if you read some of the Star Starlink. Um, literature and stuff actually from elon did you did you notice in your terms of service already that it says that you basically agree that mars is a free state and that uh no government shall control it in in the starlink terms of service no uh, i am a normal person and did not read those which i know is a terrible thing but no i did not see that (laughs) so that is that really in there that's in the starlink terms of service and this is one of elon's agendas is basically that mars will be this free colony and not controlled by any um earth earth government um and so you agreed to that in your starlink terms of service so you you better be supporting that. That's it. Yeah, apparently I'm going to Mars, people. But it's it's funny, you know, Ryan, I, you and I have talked about this. It's like this whole mission to Mars and like Elon's big dream of being to Mars. Like, just doesn't make sense to. I, I think we're in agreement on this. It doesn't make sense to either either of us. It's like, why are we spending all this time trying to go to a planet that? cannot support life and we're gonna have to have all these giant infrastructure and biodomes and all these things to make life work but then the moment something breaks you all just die like (laughs) whoops that broke you're dead (laughs) you know there's there's so many problems with mars now maybe he's got some grand plan that that i don't know it has so little atmosphere it has no magnetosphere so there is no protection from space radiation 
it is just a extremely inhospitable planet. But I guess he's, I think maybe he's trying to solve the problems that he can solve. And so one of, one of his goals with Starlink is actually, his plan is to put this on Mars, right? He wants Mars to have its own global internet service too. So that is part of Elon's grand plan for Starlink. It's, it's, Earth is the testing ground for the Mars internet connection. <laughs> Well, there you go. I'm I'm now a Martian resident, apparently. <laughs> You're or a Martian a beta tester. Yeah, I'm a Martian beta tester. Exactly. Does that mean like all of a sudden my satellite will just launch itself unexpectedly, and I better hold on? Your whole house will launch itself, and you will end up yeah. on Mars, and you better deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, I, I do want to go back though and talk about these satellites. You had mentioned the kind of the way they fly over the sky. Um, what, what's really interesting is. is these satellites have been the source of a lot of like UFO claims and aliens sightings. And, um, and I know I've heard it here from our neighbors. Cause I mean, here we are in the mountains, we've got the clear skies you can imagine. We can see the Milky way from time to time. You know, we've got this beautiful evening sky and I've heard it from our neighbors. Like, dude, I saw the craziest thing the other day. It was, it was like 50 UFOs right in a row, like a UFO train. And, uh, and, you know, if you actually looked at their, they're actually these satellites and what, there's a lot of confusion in how these satellites are launching. And you actually, when I got the system, you, you, you kind of told me, told me a cool little tidbit about them that I'd like you to share about how they get kind of launched and how they look like that, but then they won't for, for much longer. Right. So they set, SpaceX is launching these 60 at a time and about every two weeks, they're launching about 120 satellites every month. Um, the key here with, with what Artie's talking about is that 60 of them are launched at a time. So that, that rocket goes up and it kind of gets into an orbital plane. These are all, again, about 550 kilometers up in the air. Um, and, and they're at about the same inclination, too. That's why his, his dish can aim at one point in the sky and, and find the same satellites. The inclination is basically the angle of the orbit um, around the Earth. So all these right now are at a 53-degree in, inclination. Um, 45 degrees would be like... I think 45 would be perfectly over the poles. So it's slightly, it's off of that a bit, but so these are going at a 53 degree inclination. Um, I could be totally wrong. That could be 90, but anyway, so that's the, that's the, the inclination is basically the angle of the orbit. And that's how you just, one of the ways you describe orbits is basically the angle that they're, that they're going around relative to the equator. So it's probably not actually close to the pole at all. At 53, it's probably just a little bit beyond 45. Anyways, I digress. So but the thing is, the satellites go, go up together, and then basically it the, the main rocket body releases one at a time. But they're all in the same orbital plane, so they end up kind of being this like train of satellites, uh, or chain is what we typically call them in aerospace, is, is a chain of satellites. And over time, they're spacing out. So, But when they start, even though you're kind of dropping them off at, at different periods, I don't know what the time between each one, but it's some not probably super large amount of time because they have to get them all dumped and then get the rocket back. Um, but they dump all, all the satellites, and then they slowly spread out over time because having a bunch of satellites close together is not super useful because, uh, for one, they can kind of interfere with each other, but also... Um, you're trying, he's trying to get coverage around the world. So you want to get these spread out in this orbit. You can think of the orbits as kind of like a big circle. And so you want to get these satellites ideally equally spaced around that big circle to where that you keep constant coverage over the whole Earth. Um, but they start off together. And so when you watch all these recently, especially the more recently launched groups, they're all clustered together. And you'll just see satellite, 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 satellite. And it is creepy. I, I saw the, I went out and watched some about three, it's been three or four weeks ago now. And 
it is just amazing because they just there's nothing. It's weird too because there's there's nothing. Then they'll hit the glint of the sun, and then you'll see one, and then that one will go for a little bit, and then the next one will come in, and then it'll move into the Earth's um, shadow, and it'll be gone. So it doesn't. At least the ones I was watching was not going across the total sky. They were kind of coming into view, lighting up, going a little bit, and then disappearing again. And so you, get, I could see about two or three at a time that were that were lit up and they just keep coming and it looks like so it looks like know, they're appearing disappearing appearing yeah disappearing. appearing and disappearing it looks kind of like a i don't know like a missile barrage or something like they they just keep shooting across the sky and if you didn't i mean if it, if if i was you know neanderthal man looking up at the sky i'd be like oh, oh god what is this you know it'd be very creepy and scary and even if you i mean if you don't know what it is it is creepy <laughs> yep. Well, if you're interested in seeing this, you can actually, there are websites out there that you can actually go and, and track and they'll be able to tell you based on your address when they're viewable, um, which is kind of cool. I have not seen it yet, but now that we have the system, I want to, I want to see this. So I'm going to be trying to find yeah, you should go, I mean, it, check the, it out. The thing is there are so many in orbit now that it's basically all the time. And so this, this is one of the other controversial issues now with Starlink is they plan to launch up to 42,000 of these things. Wow. Right, I mean, they're at sixteen hundred right now, but forty-two thousand, and so there's a lot of kind of, uh, I mean, kind of getting to kind of the pol- politics world of, should one company have the right to litter our night sky with forty-two thousand objects, right? Or iter- I mean, litter the the Earth's orbits and atmosphere with, you know, it's not quite atmosphere, but the the near space around Earth with forty-two thousand different objects. Um, and this is, like I said, it's just one entity. Right, it's yep. one. Yeah, they're basically going to control the entire atmosphere, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> or at least this, that plane. <laughs> this basically big. They call them. Um, it's not planes; they're um, shells. They'll have this shells. gigantic orbital shell around the Earth, full of satellites. Um, and again, I had to explain this already too. Like space is big. Even forty-two thousand satellites. There's miles and miles and miles and miles between each one. So the odds of them hitting anything is still extraordinarily low, but it will be that much more cluttered than it was before, right? And right now there's, I think, less than 10,000 total satellites in orbit. So they're going to quadruple the number of satellites in orbit just by themselves, and that's not including what other companies are doing and other people that have plans as well. Yeah, that's a, I haven't thought about the political implications, to be honest. And I know it's normally what I think about first, but... That's that's a really interesting point, and I don't know that I have an answer to that. I mean, that is a lot of control. You know, that, that, that essentially, if Elon achieves what he wants to achieve and w- what it seems Starlink is going to achieve, he's basically going to be the one internet guy for the entire world, potentially, right? So he's going to be the one. Scary. So um, there are other companies who are trying to do the same thing, but with the rockets, he has such an advantage. Um, so the, everyone else is really playing catch up. And I, I mean, in this, it does feel like there is a significant first mover advantage. Oh, absolutely. Especially with the way he's been able to get these rockets to come back and, and cut costs. And 
But the truth of the matter is, though, all right, so even if we do have a competitor, you can say, yay, from a, a capitalism and competitive standpoint, that's a good thing. It'll control prices, right? You got all these, like, benefits of that. But then that means there's now 84,000 satellites in the sky, <laughs> which, and the, and the thing about this, what, what concerned me, and, and I actually asked Ryan this question, which he said, you know, I, I kind of talked already about this because my concern was, okay, we're launching all these satellites up in sky, you know, one when these things break, they, it's not like they're going to go up and fix them, or at least not now. Maybe that is future technology. But then these things just become space junk, right? And they're now just orbiting our Earth. And every other satellite up there is now in danger of getting hit by this broken satellite or this space trash or whatever you want to call it. Every rocket we launch with potentially people on board now has the, you know, a higher, statist statistically a higher chance of hitting something or, you know, something if a you know, an asteroid comes in or a small meteor or whatever comes in and hits one of these satellites, something breaks off. Now that's tumbling in the space, right? We've got, we've got this potential for what could be disasters down the road with all this stuff just flying around that is completely uncontrolled. It's controlled in the sense we know, like they, they know the orbit, they know where it's at, but there are variables that could come into play that just changes that. And now, yeah, we've, we could have problems. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, one one aspect of that is that these are all designed to be deorbited. Um, so as long as they don't break, so we, we'll get into the breaking case in a minute. But as long as they're still functional, um, before the end of their lifetime, they are even required by as part of their permitting to deorbit themselves. So of the of the meaning very comes first, back down, meaning it intentionally flies into the atmosphere and burns up. These these are these are small enough to where they should pretty much completely burn up in the atmosphere. They don't have any big, you know, solid like chunks of lead or whatever. That's that's when you get kind of worried about things that that don't completely burn up, is if they've got some kind of big solid aspects to them. These are they call them pizza boxes. They're actually way bigger than a pizza box. They're like ten pizza boxes, <laughs> but Still pretty small like, considering su what they're super doing. Super big, super big pizza box, um, and they're flat, and that's how they cram all of them into um, the one satellite or the one rocket to get sixty up at a time. Is these giant flat big super big pizza boxes um but they're designed to deorbit and so actually of the first 60 that he launched so he launched two prototypes and then he launched the first batch of 60 which is kind of a beta test batch still they've deorbited 30 some of those already so they are proving out their whole deorbiting strategy and everything too so as long as they they don't break as long as they are maintained in control they shouldn't create long-term space debris because we should be able to deorbit them and clean up now out of a bazillion satellites some of them are going to break uh, yep. it, it it happens either they're going to break because they break or they're going to break because they get hit by something like you said like micrometeors and like other debris and stuff is real and it does happen not very often again again the odds of hitting things in space are incredibly small because space is big but um, so if something breaks, now you do have this kind of free floating piece of junk. And I don't know if he has a, uh, a strategy for dealing with that in general, people don't, it's just kind of something that happens. And the U S has places, the world has places that track all the stuff in space. And so we know where stuff is. And so they, they do give warnings if things are about to collide and stuff, but it's still, it makes it a harder problem and it's more stuff that we have to track and it's more stuff that we have to worry about collisions with. And it's more stuff that the working satellites have to dodge. If you've got some broken thing that, that has no control that's coming at you. Yep. Interesting. I, I didn't realize they were meant to, to deorbit like that. That's actually kind of in, very interesting technology. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm 100 sure that that was one of the requirements to get approval, um, to to be able to launch this many satellites. So that you, so future you, future big big business ideas like space trash company. Oh, there's all kinds of 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 people trying to work on the space junk problem. I think there might even be an X Prize, um, to come up with some kind of solution for removing space junk. Ooh. But the part, I mean, you can do it. We can launch stuff that goes up there and pushes stuff out of orbit but it's expensive yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's, it's super expensive just to do that it's 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 basically spending a bunch of money to get rid of trash <laughs> yeah exactly oh man so so let's jump into the the politics of this a little bit i mean what are what are kind of your feelings on so so let me back up with all these satellites going up because i know one of the questions and always come, that come up are you know things about right and we're getting a lot of this right things about signals and radio waves and things in the air like is there any like health risks that we know of or any anything with all these now 42,000 satellites communicating back down to earth essentially going through all of our brains like is there oh so that's 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 like, like am a, I gonna me, grow a that's third a head? me type question i, I like i that. know i know but but it's something that we're all kind of thinking about like this is uncharted territory right yeah I mean, so, the, it, so this this interestingly enough i'm i am much worried more worried about cell phones than this um and that is because electromagnetic radiation uh, decays exponentially. So it's all about how close you are to the transmitter, even much more than what the power of the transmitter is. The power certainly matters, but distance matters. So these things are literally 550 kilometers away from your head. So the odds of that, even if it was some kind of super high energy wave, which these are not, um, is extremely low. Now your cell phone, it sits in my pocket on my leg you know, literally zero inches from my body for yeah, or a large portion. Or you're head holding to it to your it. brain, which yeah. at least has, <laughs> has some like, you know, nice uh, skull in the way, but you're, you're basically holding it right up against your head. Um, that's super close to you, even though it's obviously a, a little bitty transmitter that's powered by a battery. Um, it still goes miles. And it, yep. if, you, if you look at the frequency rave, it's, it's microwaves. So it's exactly the same frequency that is being used by your literally your microwave in your house to cook food. Now it is way less power, but you are literally microwaving your body. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about microwaves is microwaves are what's called non-ionizing radiation, which means they don't break DNA. So they don't they theoretically should not cause DNA damage, which is what could cause cancer and stuff like that. So so at least from a theoretical perspective. They should be safe, but there's always the, the thing of like if I if I'm if I'm radiating myself for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, 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 hours does does something happen with time? There is localized warming that is a recognized effect of microwaves and cellulite. Is that I mean obviously microwaves basically the way that that works on food is it excites water molecules and basically causes them to heat up. So that does happen in your body too. So it does cause a, a local warming effect on bodies. But theoretically, it's just warming. Okay. But Interesting. You can, you, you can put on your tinfoil hat if you if you would like, and that that might protect you from from all these satellites that are spewing data everywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, there's always something to be scared of. Um, you know, we had we just, we're still dealing with COVID and just coming out of that. I mean. Is this something we really need to be worried ourselves with? I don't know. Um, or I don't know where I stand on it. I, I recognize what it is. I recognize I'm kind of saying I'm, I'm more concerned that I'm 
you know, carrying around essentially a wiretap that's listening to my every move. <laughs> that that's more my concern because we know it's happening. Like you look at Facebook. Oh, you look well, we at, we put these wiretaps I mean, in our houses now. I mean, yeah, I've got a few Google Homes, and I'm still kind of like, eh, I, don't, I don't really like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, there's this comic strip I've seen. I've seen, and uh, I've actually, it's weird. I don't read a whole lot of comics, but yet this is like the third one I mentioned on our podcast, which is kind of funny. Um, but it was it was one where uh, it, it was showed like 1950s, and and it was a woman on her kitchen corded phone and it was like hey let, let's let's not talk we may be wired wiretapped right now right because that was all the fear in like the 50s was you know the cold war and the wiretap and there's you know everyone was afraid that everybody was listening and now and then it fast forwarded today and like someone uh was talking to like their alexa in their kitchen it was like hey wiretap can you put this on my grocery list <laughs> <laughs> oh. thank wiretap yeah thank you wiretap well, um, like that, the problem that, that's more with that is that it, it is just a technology problem in general is that by giving up privacy, you can get benefits. And that is what those things are in many ways. Now, theoretically, they're being, they, they, we have a privacy policy that says we're not going to do anything bad and we're not going to spy on you. <laughs> Trust us totally. <laughs> it's all good. Um but you're take you always take the risk that that's happening. So so let let's kind of talk about this as it relates to Starlink now. So you know, with them being my my internet provider and potentially the whole world's here soon, right? Can they see everything that I'm doing over yep. their signal? You can, but it's the same um, aspect of any use of the internet. As long as the data is encrypted, theoretically, they can't do anything with it. And so that's what. Um, I don't know if you noticed, like pretty much the entire internet has gone to over HTTPS now. Over HTTPS stands for secure in that case. Uses a protocol called TLS and nerdy stuff, blah, blah, blah. But basically it means that all your data is not sent in a sniffable manner. Like I can sniff the data, but it's all junk. It looks like garbledness unless you've got the keys. And the keys are in both the parties that are actually talking's hands. And so that that applies too with with starlink now i don't know if like what we're doing right now this podcast if this data is encrypted it may or may not be um it, it's obviously it takes more performance it t it's more cpu utilization to do the encryption than the decryption it makes the data a little bit bigger so i mean there are there are some downsides to encrypting everything um but i would guess it is that th this was a big controversy with zoom earlier in the COVID pandemic was their data was not secure and they've hence made all these changes to basically securify everything. Um, I would guess that it is definitely when you're dealing with your banks or like anything with HPS, like even Google. Now, if you do your Google searches, theoretically only you and Google can see what you type into that search box, the internet providers and all the routers and switches and all the network hardware in between in this case, the Starlink, which is a big router, uh, in between, um, it should just be garbled bytes that are just being sent around and they should not be able to steal any information from that. Interesting. All right, so now let's, let's go back to your question. Like, does one company, 42,000 satellites powering the internet for the world, is this a good thing or bad thing? I mean, I can see how it's a good thing, right? It's getting internet to me, which we didn't have, and I can see it getting to the, you know, the corners of the world, like, you know, tribes in Africa or, you know, fill in the blank, mm -hmm. um, which could be really positive, right? It's got a positive side, but what are the cons? Like, what's, what's, what's our risk in all this? So... I think it, it is a net win for the world. Like I said, do you have internet anywhere? One thing you talked about was like putting it on your RV. They, they theoretically could already do that, but they're, they don't have a license to create mobile 
um, stations yet. They have applied for that, um, but they have not gotten it yet. So that, but that is the future. Like it'll be on your boat. That'll be great, right? I mean, ha- having stuff like that when you're in the middle of the ocean and still having the internet, that will just be amazing. Um, so I think that's a net win for the world. For for urban areas or for, yeah, for urban areas and, and places that already have wires, you can't compete with wires. Like yeah. if you've got fiber, fiber is like literally the internet is still on the earth. <laughs> like the main parts, the big backbones that move all the big, piles of data between different cities that's on the earth. And so if you're on the earth and you've got a fiber connection, it's going to be better than anything you can do in space ever. Just theoretical space can never be faster than that. But as you've said, this is amazingly good. 150 megabits per second is better than most people have still on the ground. Now, new neighborhoods, new homes, a lot of them have fiber connections. One of my friends just bought a house that has a fiber connection. So he's got gigabit symmetrical. He's got gigabit download and upload. Holy moly. And it's the upload part that's very rare. Um, but that's one of the features, and that's what's coming for newer neighborhoods is gigabit symmetrical. And even 10 gigabit will be here pretty quickly, I think, in the next five years. Um, so the ground is going to beat satellite pretty badly. But again, for streaming video, you need about eight Yep. So again, if you've got a household and you've got like three people watching some YouTube videos and one person in a video chat, you've got 30 or 40. It's typically going to work pretty good. You might be pushing it a little bit. And if it's, if it's a jittery or if you get periods where the, your effective bandwidth goes up and down, that might not be good enough at a hundred. As far as everything that we can do in the world right now, I mean, the only benefit beyond that really is download and upload times. Like you said, like uploading this podcast will be faster on a faster connection, downloading a movie, like the whole movie, will be faster on a faster connection. But I can't, there aren't many use cases where you need any faster than that to just do something in real time. Like to browse the internet, you don't need anything close to that. It's more of if you're downloading giant files or uploading giant files, it matters. Um, so if you were a Bitcoin engineer, this, you would, you, this probably wouldn't work. <laughs> well, Bitcoin's <laughs> From all our about, previous podcast. Bitcoin's all about uh, compute, computational power, not really. Uh, <laughs> did network bandwidth, but good concept, a good try. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just mean you could do it faster, right? You could plug in your formulas faster. Um, well, the thing is, that's the thing. Like a lot of times with these technological big big jumps, if you can think of what the killer the killer use case is that no one else has thought of yet, there's a huge opportunity there. Yep. Um. So. Like some pe- the people who thought of like basically these Google drives and things were like storage is so cheap now yes. that you can just put a big hard disk on the internet and provide that as a really cheap service. But they've been working on that for years, getting ready yep. to provide that service. And a lot of that was forecasting that, hey, data is getting really cheap. We'll be able to do this online. And networks keep an end. You kind of just putting the pieces together. Like networks are getting fast enough to copy everything online. Data get- disks are getting cheap enough for us to store everything online. I'm going to provide an online storage service, which before it would have been like, I'm going to wait a year to upload my movie. I'm not going to do that. Right. Yep. It didn't even make sense before. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I still remember buying my first hard drive. Like, you know, it was like a, like a one gig hard drive and it cost me like 150 bucks. Right. And now you get like a terabyte from Google for like 20 bucks a year or something. <laughs> yep. Oh man. So, so, so let's go back to kind of this whole thing of this being, I mean, it so it sounds like, all right, but there's a lot of, lot of upside to this. But I think where we've kind of landed is the con is, is the control aspect, right? This is all one company that controls all of this right now. Um, 
Yeah, that, there's, that seems a, like there's a bad definitely thing. a monopolistic control aspect, at least at the moment. The other downside, which I don't, we sort of talked about, is the amateur astronomy downside, which I, I don't, we didn't, we haven't really talked about that. No, I mean, we the haven't. problem is these, if so, people do like astrophotography. That's 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 the best example. To do that, you have to stare at the sky with a camera for some period of time and take either long exposures or a bunch of short exposures that you add up together. Um, and that's when you get all those pretty pictures. You, you can actually get Hubble-ish quality pictures on the ground by just staring at the same spot in the sky with a good telescope with magnification and just taking a bunch of images and then stacking them. And all that color and all of the kind of the galaxies and the beautiful things that you get from Hubble images, you can actually get those on the ground. And most people don't realize that, but it requires staring. And throwing away a bunch of junk. Like the, the atmosphere gets in the way. Sometimes the atmosphere causes fuzziness and it does weird things. But you throw away the bad images and keep the good ones. You put them together, you can get Hubble quality images. Well, that's completely screwed up by having a giant chain of satellites fly into your field of view. Yeah. And just go pew, pew, pew. And you're doing long exposures. They just turn into big streaks. So yep. space is normally really dark. And to do these long exposures, you're trying to pick out these very little amounts of light. Right, and so you got to be super sensitive, and you got to throw away all the noise, and you got to kind of pick up the little bits of color that are that are hitting your telescope, and then you put this giant bright satellite, and it just you know your image is now this this big smear of of lines, and um, there's there's real worry about kind of destroying the night sky for the future generations of um, amateur astronomers and kids and people yeah. who want to take out their telescope and. You know, look at look at Saturn, and all of a sudden, pew 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 pew. All these little, even just looking. I mean, there's, there's cases where it'll it'll line up, and then you'll have all these little satellites just <laughs> messing with your view of Saturn because the yeah the, the sky is basically polluted in this case well, with it, satellites. And it's not even just like photography. I mean, think of like the implications. Like this is where most kids like pick out their dream to go to space one day or become a, an aeronautical engineer or aerospace engineer and, and get involved in like NASA or like yourself, right? This is where a lot of those dreams start is by staring at the sky. And I know this is like for, or, or even, you know, we, we could even ex- extrapolate this further. It's like where a lot of people find peace is, you know, stargazing and, you know, this is how they, they, they de- de-stress and, you know, you, you could go as far. And I, I think this would be extreme reach, but you could say, well, this could cause like some mental health issues because now we don't have, like, I mean, you could, you could extrapolate this. Yeah, you're, to you're not the first person areas. to say that. And there's other people who are saying like, maybe this is going to mess up animals because maybe animals are instinctively tracking stars for migration and stuff i mean who knows honestly well and they do i mean like so for we 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 had our hunting podcast and so everybody knows i'm 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 really into hunting and elk for example um is a great example of this so the cow elk uh, their determination of them going into heat and and basically the mating season starting or, or or the peak of mating season is always the fall equinox always um, it's always right around that period of time. So yeah, you get a little bit of mating, get a little bit of kind of that activity before and after, but the peak is generally found, or at least has been documented to be right about the fall equinox, right? Which is based on stars, right? It's based on daylight, essentially. And, and the sun is just a star, right? So, so we know it has some impact, and, but yeah, it may, it may extend further. We don't know the full impact of that. That's int- I haven't heard that point, but as you said, that I was like, man, that just kind of came right to me. I was like, well, yeah, that, that could happen. Well, and the human mental health thing is too, like you said, the, the stars have always been kind of like this kind of serene, even spiritual kind of kind of thing. And now if you're adding these, these 
fly, basically these flying lights. I mean, I, 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 counter to all this, I think it is going to inspire people too to go into space. Like, I mean, seeing space yep. at work is pretty cool too. So from the the kids wanting to go to NASA, I think it'll actually hopefully be a net positive for that. But it's whether or not, I mean, it's just worth messing with things. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the sci-fi movies where they like project ads on the moon. Um, no. <laughs> There's all there's various dystopian dreams about or like flying a bunch of drones up in the sky and like making a big Coke commercial and that's actually yep. real, right? Yes, that, I saw in, that in different places now. Well, and they um, did that in uh, was it Beijing for the Olympics? They had like that whole drone show. They do, but like even in other places now, they they've done ads with drone swarms, um, wow. and just putting them in this by the big city and making fancy drone swarm ads. But in some of the sci-fi movies, it's actually projected like a Pepsi logo on the moon. <laughs> so the moon looks like oh, a big Pepsi, big Pepsi circle. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, the, oh, there's this whole like commercialization of space or nature kind of aspect that, I mean, it's, I don't think it's a problem right now, but it's, it's something that people get worried about. Well, to your point, the net positive on space, I have to say we've seen this firsthand. My youngest son has been like interested in space, like any young boy. And uh, when we got the satellite, we then I then like pulled up a launch like, dude, this is what this is. And like, here's the satellite going. This is what our satellite on top of my office is talking to. And like he got all excited and was able to kind of because now he has this physical thing that he can like see and touch that relates to, you know, because you, you'd see these launches and it'd be kind of like this dream world. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? Whatever. Kind of right? made, it, made it real. Right. It made it real. Yeah. And it made it made the application very real. Right. Of okay, this is, this is a real thing and it's doing something real versus, hey, we launched people to the moon. It's on the news. Yay, right? Now, yeah, now did, this is... But did that actually happen, Artie? No, oh, man. Prove that's it. A whole nother, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast we could jump into. Uh, um, the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I, I've seen so much evidence. It's funny. That, that there's so much evidence and like where people like have all these conspiracy theories and... I could see like some of the arguments are right. All right, kind of, yeah, kind of make a little sense, but you're probably stretching. Um, yeah, but I, I think they went to the moon. I am in of that belief. I have no doubt in my mind. That, that would be a good um, podcast. There, that there would are be a good we, podcast. we left things on the surface of the moon that you can bounce a laser off of. Oh, well, um, there you go. That's pretty what, good proof. <laughs> I, I, what would be cool, and I, I think we've we've had this on our list for a while, so they'll be coming is to tackle some some of, if not all, these conspiracy theories, because um, there's some that I, are actually really intriguing to me, and there's some that honestly I have a belief in, um, because I've I've you know, we, and we can jump into those um, down the road, but um, there the thing with all these conspiracy theories, there's always evidence, right? And there's always believable evidence that yes, gets kind of extrapolated a little bit. Um, probably is probably what happens. Um, but yeah, there's, a, there's always some, there's always like a little nugget of truth in there. You're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, it's, it's largely derived information. There's like something and then people derive everything from it. It's like, whoa, the, the something was like way back there. And then you just derived all this crap. From yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, we should jump in this. Uh, we will jump into some of those because, like I said, there are some good ones, and there are some that are like, well, you know, that I pay attention to because I've got some belief in them, um, or at least belief that this is a potential truth. Um, so yeah, anyway, that, that that's that's up there. So I think overall, uh, let's kind of start, kind of wrap this all up then. Um, net good, and what are your net good or bad, and what are your biggest, I guess, concerns? on the bad side. So, so I say net good. And I think, like I said, really having internet on the ocean, I think is going to be a really killer use case or for people in very rural areas that have basically crap internet that they're 
local governments say, <laughs> too bad for you, right? It's yep. too expensive to run wires out to your middle nowhere house. So I think that is super, super net good. Um, the negatives, definitely the stargazing aspect stinks. I think that's something we're kind of sacrificing um, is the kind of the unaltered night sky for this. Um, the benefit is, at, so, so the thing is, satellites only light up when they can when they can still see the sun. It's the it's the sun reflecting off the satellite that lights it up. So late at night, like when the sun's been down for a while, this will not be a problem. Um, but it just might mean that you have to go later at night to get that really dark sky. Hmm. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, I'm a little worried about the whole Mars um, kind of political agenda. <laughs> to this um well i think it's interesting that we can just say mars is going to be a free state and all this nifty stuff um i find the cost will be ginormous and i find that highly unlikely that that will be actually what happens it would probably yeah. take a government worth of money to actually succeed in colonizing probably a world's worth of money yeah <laughs> right I mean, like, yeah, I think like um, it took us, uh, the world coming together to make the International Space Station, right? And that's only to, what, the, uh, allow six people to live in space for a period of time? Six people to live in space for six months a year at a time, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, but, but, uh, it, but it's not generations. No, and it's not even very big. I mean, no. it, uh, it, it, it's way better than the space shuttle, but it is still a pretty cramped, cramped little place um, to live for a long time. Yeah, if I were to sum it up, I'd, I'd say it's net good. Um, I think getting internet everywhere throughout the earth would be amazing. I mean, especially, too, for those that are disconnected from the world, like, you know, tribes, tribal nations and, and such. You know, I didn't think about the star and the stargazing, but that's really interesting to me, especially to you hit on the, the, the potential mental health um, and spiritual aspects. And I know that seems like it could be a stretch, but, like, you look at the Native American culture, which, especially here, we're out in the West. I mean, this was... This was huge here, right? And stars and the sky, like it ran their whole life. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it was how they based everything off. And, and then I extrapolate further and I think, you know, like, like I, I already mentioned hunting in this podcast, but like I spend a lot of times in the backcountry, right? And if I ever get lost, one of the things I know for sure is I can navigate by the stars, right? I can navigate and the sun included, but if it's at night, I can navigate. I, this may mess that up, right? We, I may completely lose our bearings, right? If there, there's a, all of a sudden a new shiny light in the sky, um, you know, you, you could get turned around. I think it's more um, of a distraction. I mean, the North star is still going to be the North star being, being in the Northern hemisphere. We have a really, no, nice I, I get that reference point. But, um, I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as saying, but I, I've never seen 42,000 satellites in the sky at the same time and no one ever has. And so it's going to be very, yeah, that, that, that number like, is that a star? Me. Is that a satellite? Is that a star? Is that a satellite? Right. Well, it's moving, right? And it's, <laughs> is it a plane? Yeah, or is it a meteor shower? Is it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, so there's there's something that's more interesting, right? Are meteor showers now just... Could, could be irrelevant. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I see little things whirring by all the time as a meteor is way less bright in general than, than these. Yep. Well, and so, I still remember, like, you know, as a kid, we used to get the alerts that there's going to be a meteor shower. We're all going to go out at night and lay on a blanket. You know, we uh, we travel every year back to the Northeast, and one of the things we do along the trip is at least one evening we sit out and watch the stars, knowing we're likely going to see some meteors because you usually see a couple a night. And yeah, that could be completely completely irrelevant because you're just going to see eight, you know forty two thousand things moving in the sky. Yeah, except said unless you stay up really late. The later you go, the less you're going to see satellites. Um, but it's it's unfortunate. <laughs> 
Yeah. So it's, so, yeah, it's a brave new world. Um, it is. It is. But I would say the con I'm probably most worried about is just this monopoly, is the, is the control um, aspect of it. And what does that mean down the road? I, I don't, I'm not concerned about it right now because I think that's what's driving the innovation. That's what's driving uh, SpaceX to get these satellites up, to get them to return to do it better, more efficiently, um, to, to get internet everywhere. Like I think it's a great motivation for the net positive, but long term, we're going to have to tackle that. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, well, I think, again, the whole utility thing, uh, call it this, the government labeling this utility would change the whole game. It would, but so, then again, now we've got... But then but then your enemy is not one company that's got the monopoly. Now it's the government that does, right? So is that you're, you're trading one evil for another, and I'm not sure that's still the answer. Well, we could have the whole discussion about the whole utility model, too. That'd be a good a good podcast. Yep. Um, it, it discourages innovation. And right now the innovation is happening, and I don't want it to be discouraged. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's where I'm at. So I think short term, it's a, it's a good thing. But long term, there's, there's going to have to be something down the road that, I don't know, that addresses this or some way to mitigate that risk. Um, yeah, because yeah, the worst thing is you get one person and, and now we're talking about internet, which and I would argue it at this point in our in our society, it is a utility. Right now we've got one company that controls our entire infrastructure, especially to everything runs on the internet, right? Our governments run on the internet, our finances run on the internet, businesses run on the everything's on the internet today's day and age, right? Now you've got mm-hmm. one company that has control over who can access that and who can't and um well, and how again, they do that. They they will never control the internet, but they might control non-urban internet well but yeah they, well yeah that's true yeah yeah because urban would still be wired that, that is a fair point but yes yeah. so sure. anyway that's a whole nother discussion for another day i think and uh we need to wrap this up and before we do ryan did you hear about the semicolon that broke the law no i didn't what, what happened he was given two consecutive sentences <laughs> Oh, man. There you go, folks. There's your dad joke for the day. As promised, I will try to remember to keep that consistent. Um, I am uh, where this stems from. I'm a big dad joke fan. I, I kind of make I make a lot of them up. Some of them I, some of them are not mine in full disclosure. Um, but it's become this fun thing with my family, and my kids, and it's become the thing I do all over Facebook. And I've gotten a weird kind of fun. I say weird, but it turned into a following, which I never expected. And um, I was like, oh, I'll bring it onto the podcast and do this. And and then I said I was going to do it, and then I got I got an uproar because people were angry that I didn't do it. I heard it from multiple people. Um, so we're going to try and do it from now on. So, you know, as corny as it may be, like l- love it or hate it, it's coming at you. All right. Stay tuned for the discussions, apparently, and the dad jokes. Yes. Take care, guys. 